start with good morning everyone. It's a wonderful experience to be part of God's family and in particular to have you folk <clears throat> as my immediate Christian family. Last week Pastor Keith spoke about us being a questionable people. Now I've done questionable things but he meant it in a different way. Yes, so Pastor Keith wants us to have some answers ready because as Christians we're encouraged to do so. Answers to the questions that we may be asked concerning our faith. In 1 Peter 3.15 it says, But in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have. But do this with and respect. Leaving church last Sunday, I believe God spoke to my heart about having an answer style preparedness to assist me in witnessing to others. In my time with motorcycling, a kind of training based on the letters WWW. And every Christian can do the first expression of WWW, that's witnessing without words. The way we live and the way we interact with the people and with the people in our, our communities, that should tell people that we're different. We live by a code of conduct, a code that... And the more we allow Christ to live through us, and the more we ask the Holy Spirit to refine us, the more we actually witness without saying a word. But once we stand out from the crowd, the questions will come. And that's what Pastor Keith was telling us to get ready for. And that leads to the, ex the second use of the WWW, witnessing with words. And that is inevitable once we begin to live a lifestyle that shows Christ to the community around us. And this is where the question of change comes in. I have to use that term a couple of times because Keith asked me earlier in the week, he said, what are you talking about? And I said, oh, I was going to talk about finding answers to some of the questions. And he came up with this title, uh, Question of Change. So I've got to use that phrase a couple of times to legitimise the title Keith gave me. But here's a question that has to do with change. How much have we allowed God to change us so that we are more Christ-like? If you can look back over your life and thank God that you are no longer the person that you used to be, thanking the Lord for better relationships, better reactions to situations, better responses to harsh words, better consistency of faithfulness to God's word and godly ways, then that is progressive sanctification. But if you are the same person that you've always been, then I've got some questions for you. It's a question of change. Why haven't you changed? The apostle divides people into three groups and he calls unbelievers, the unregenerated in heart and mind, natural people. And, and to be honest, I'm surrounded by natural people, not here, but where I work and in the community where I live. Natural people, according to 1 Corinthians 2.14, are those without Christ and without the Holy Spirit. They are without 
a future hope. The second grouping the apostle uses is the carnal Christian. Now, the carnal Christian has received Christ, the forgiveness of sin, and he has the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, but the carnal Christian hasn't put the power to overcome temptation to its proper use. The the carnal Christian still has a foot in each camp. He hasn't got a good witness without words, and if he attempts to witness with words, his lifestyle and ongoing sin will make his words ineffective and even counterproductive to the work of Christ. The third category, and, and I'm hoping that's all of us, is the spiritual Christian. We not only have Christ enthroned in our lives, but the spiritual Christian has the Holy Spirit at work in every aspect of life, affecting change that will ultimately bring them to the image of Christ. The spiritual Christian has a lifestyle witness that brings godly power to their words of witness. And this is where we all hope to be in this group, growing to maturity in the Lord. The question of change is a big one. How much have we changed? In Romans 8, 28 to 30, the Apostle Paul speaks of Christians not being predestined to salvation, but once saved, being predestined to conform to the image of Christ. And, and that's the line of progression that we should be following. The disciples were saved when they believed in Jesus as the Christ of God, the Redeemer of their souls. A lot of them admittedly only truly believed at the time of the resurrection when the tomb was empty of Christ. But in those early days, they were still afraid. They hid themselves until Pentecost when the Holy Spirit was given to empower them and give them courage. And that reading that Alison brought had two aspects. One was the power of Peter's speech. He wasn't a frightened follower of Christ anymore. He was a bold evangelist for Christ. And of course, the outcome was fabulous. 3,000 people came to the Lord when he witnessed with those words. And we've got to wonder what happened. What happens when we are saved that takes the fear out of us? that gives us courage, that puts power into our words. Because Peter's speech is a courageous one when we consider how, for fear of his life, he denied knowing Christ when Christ was on trial. Yet here in Acts 2, his words are provocative when he says in verse 36, this same Jesus whom you have crucified God has raised up to be both Lord and Messiah. And the other disciples, they all ran off when Jesus was being tried as well. But now they're standing behind Peter, unafraid, full of courage, while Peter actually taunts the crowd with the truth. And something special has happened to these guys. 
and it's the fact that God has taken up residence in them and he changed them from cowards to courageous disciples. It's what God does within us when he saves us that makes the difference. And and I want to explain this with the help of a little demonstration that I, I guess a lot of you have seen before. And, and that's with my tea bags. Who likes a cup of tea? I'd rather coffee any day, but coffee bags don't work in this. There we go. It's my non-Christian tea bag. Take a good look at him. This pagan tea bag lives entirely for himself. The unsaved tea bag tries to find fulfilment in life through what he can get other people to believe about him. This tea bag loves going on holidays because a little bit of happiness he finds in life comes from boasting about where he's been, and the places he has seen. He needs to have done more than the people around him because he feeds off their envy. And he likes his own stuff. He likes to have stuff. And the more he can own, the better. And popularity comes to this guy through holding important posts or even working in charities. The unsaved haven't got Christ to give them their sense of self-worth, so they look for it in people and places and possessions and positions of importance. And you know, there are many very good and wonderful non-Christian teabags in our community. And they need the true source of happiness that comes from being in Christ, from having Christ in our lives. And that's why Pastor Keith wants us to share our faith. Too many really, really good people are heading towards a Christless eternity. Now, I don't know what to do with my old tea bag. Here's my tea bag who has just become a Christian. He's he's a babe in Christ. And I'm wondering if you notice a whole lot of difference. He's hanging down, but I can make this other bloke hang down too, I think. And not a lot of difference that you can see because all the changes in this guy in the instant of his salvation have happened inside. He looks the same as the unbelieving teabag, but a lot has happened to him and I want to explain that so that you know how to answer some of the questions that Keith will ask you when he comes back from holidaying at the church camp in Townsville. You know, he left you for a holiday by himself, Elizabeth. Isn't that cruel? Should we pray for Keith or you? We'll we'll pray anyway. Evangelical churches across the world believe in a supernatural transformation that takes place when a teabag or even a person comes to Christ for salvation. We believe that. It's supernatural. It's beyond what mankind can do himself. And it's done by God from heaven. And the Bible confirms that, so we believe it and we're right. Take that. 
When Alison and I pray for our family and friends who don't have Christian faith, we ask God to give them grace to repent and faith to believe. And when people have grace enough to repent and faith enough to believe, God does a supernatural work in their lives. And you know what grace is, don't you? It's God's unmerited favour. And God gives us mercy too, but it's different because that's not getting the bad stuff we do deserve. So that's the difference. Grace is getting the good stuff we don't deserve and mercy is not getting the bad stuff we do deserve and God gives us both during salvation. Now, if there are any note-takers amongst you, it would be a good time to get your pens and pads out because I'm going to give you some verses to support these biblical truths and I'm not going to read them all because we'd be here until this afternoon and that's not right. Proverbs 3.34 says, God scoffs at scoffers yet gives grace to the humble. Now there's a key to getting grace, being humble. Psalm 18.27, God rescues the humble and humiliates the proud. Psalm 25.9, God leads and teaches the humble. James 4.6, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. James 4.10, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up in honour. Is it any wonder that a part of repentance is humbling ourselves before God and admitting we deserve to be punished and we need him to escape that? Matthew 18.4 says, In the words of Jesus, anyone who becomes as humble as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So we need humility to repent, and we must repent to be saved. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 tells us that the faith by which we are saved is also a gift from God. Saved by grace, God's unmerited favour, through faith which is not from human endeavour, saving faith is a gift. That makes it supernatural. So we repent and put our trust in Jesus' death as being the ransom for our sins and we are saved. Isn't that true? Let's see what the Bible says happens in that instant when we go from being unsaved to saved and there's not an external change at that immediate point in time but a lot happens on the inside. And I'm drying out. Here are some of the things that God does for us. He adopts us and calls us his children. He justifies us through the penalty that Jesus suffered in our place and we are cleansed by the blood of the Lamb. God regenerates us. We are born again in a new and marvellous way. We are made alive in Christ as the breath of God breathes into our spirit and brings our spirit to life. The old life is deemed to be dead. Praise God when it is dead. Because that's a positional truth. It doesn't always die quickly. The old life has a habit of fighting on. And God indwells us. We sometimes call this uh, initial sanctification because this is the very beginning of change that the Lord will ultimately bring into our lives over time. And while it can't be seen outwardly straight away, 
if your conversion to Christ is real, people will see changes in a very little while. The changes prove that the new life has come. The changes doesn't bring the life. The changes prove that Christ has supernaturally brought the new life. Now we're going to hit some verses that confirm God's adoption of you and I as children because some people are going to ask you, doesn't it say somewhere that we are the child of God? And you can say, yes. Galatians 3.26 says, you are all children of God through faith in Christ. Galatians 4.7 says, you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are his child, God made you his heir as well. Isn't that important? You're going to inherit. Now, who's going to be the first to go out of this room? It could be me. I'm up amongst the stakes. Inherit the kingdom of God along with Christ. That's an absolute marvellous piece of good news. 2 Corinthians 6.18 says, God declares he will be our father and we his sons and daughters. So, more to look up in your own time. Romans 8.14, John 1.12, which is a goodie. 1 John 3.10. Which ones haven't you got? Right Righto, the next one is John 1.12. To them who believe, he gives the rights to become children of God. 1, uh, 1 John 3.10 and Matthew 5.9. And we move on to justification because when you're saved, you're not only adopted into God's family, you are justified. And that means that as a righteous judge, God doesn't just acquit you or or cancel the charges against you, he sees you as perfect, as never having done this wrong stuff that we've all been involved in. And, uh, and I love Psalm 103 where it says that God chooses, not because he's forgetful, but he chooses to place our sins out of association with his thoughts of us to an immeasurable distance as far as the east is from the west. Can you define that? No. I'll answer for you. No, you can't. And God puts our sin that far away from us so that when he looks at us, he doesn't see it. He, it's not that he's forgetful like us old men. He chooses not to remember. So justification uh, is a Affirmed in many parts of scripture. Here are a couple. Galatians 2.16 says, We are made right with God by faith in Jesus Christ, not by obeying the law. So if someone says to you, Jeff, should I obey the law in the Bible to be right with God? Say, no, that's not necessary. You need faith in Jesus Christ. Answer perfectly. Galatians 3.24 again says, Made right with God by faith. Romans 3.28 says the same as Romans 4.5 and Romans 5.1. You can look them up in your own time. The regeneration is the next thing that happens in that moment of salvation and it's being born again. Remember Nicodemus? Born again, he said. How can that happen? I'm old and it won't work. They're talking about a spiritual birth. 
which nevertheless leads to a totally, totally new experience of life. Nicodemus is found in John 3, 3 to 5. Uh, it's a good story and most of you know it. Romans 6.23 says, The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. New life. Freedom. Verse 4 of chapter 6 also speaks of new life, as does 1 Peter 1.3. And verse 26 of 1 Peter 1, uh, verse 23, sorry, of 1 Peter 1 says, For you have been born again. But not to a life that will quickly end. Your new life will last forever because it comes from the eternal living word of God. Second Corinthians 5.17 says the old life is gone and a new life has begun. So there is regeneration in the instant of salvation even though no one can see it yet. He just looks like the other guy. Look up Titus 3, 5. You got it, Lynn? Ephesians 2, 1 to 6 is worth a read. And Colossians 2, 12 and 13. And we move on to the next bit. Sanctification is being set apart from the world because Christ is now living his life through us in as much as we allow him to. And that doesn't happen all at once. I think Mr. Wesley allowed in his theology for an instantaneous sanctification. Um, I haven't seen it in my lifetime and I certainly haven't experienced it. I had to grow slow. And uh, that is usually the way it happens. Initial sanctification is all that occurs in the same instant as adoption and justification and regeneration. And it is a positional truth. God chooses us, uh, chooses to see us as we will be when his work in us is done. Sanctification is positional in that God foresees what the perfected saint looks like and it's progressive because we're slow learners. In the instant that God recognizes that our repentance is sincere, that our faith is real, we experience these things. Adoption, justification, regeneration, and initial or positional sanctification. And we haven't changed in an outward way. God then moves into a time of change. Our intentions are new. We have a new direction. And it's from this point that we step out in faith. And someone might say, well, if they died straight away, would they be saved? Well, the answer is yes. And the reference is the, the thief on the cross. Beside Jesus, he showed faith when he said, remember me when you come into your kingdom, to which Jesus replied, this day you will be with me in paradise. Now, he was still a thief on the cross. He was still dying justly for his crimes, but he was saved in that instant. And that same day, he was going to be with Jesus in paradise. And the supernatural side it demonstrates itself in Romans eight fifteen to 17, where it says, 
You received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba Father for his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. After I got saved, Alison asked me how I knew that I was forgiven and heaven bound. Now I, I didn't know the verse in Romans 8.16 but I knew for sure that God had forgiven me. And I said, I just know in here. I had a peace that I hadn't had before. The burden of my many sins and the weight of the wrongdoings that I had perpetrated against others was gone. There's a story in a little book I was reading last night, the night before, about a, a Negro Christian humping a big bag of, of wheat on one of the plantations and the white unsaved folk were taunting him saying, come on fellow, how do you know that you are saved by this Jesus? And he just let the bag of wheat drop off his shoulders and he said, I know. Just as the weight of that bag has left me, so the weight of my sin and my guilt has left me. I'm a free man and I know it in my heart. And I don't know what the white fellows did, but I think they were just stunned into silence by the power of his answers. I knew in there. <clears throat> and that's a question, of, pardon me, a question of change. We all need to know in here that we are saved. Because that assurance, that personal assurance from God's Holy Spirit to your now living spirit is promised. And if we don't have it, well, maybe there's more to be done. There's more change needed on the inside if you don't have that assurance of salvation in your heart. Humbly, remember that word? Humbly ask God to speak to your spirit and tell you if you are his and keep asking till you have that witness of belonging to God. And all of the above is just the very beginning. Our newly saved teabag now needs to grow in Christ and he demonstrates some of the stages of Christian maturity if I can find it in time. Now, growing in Christ sometimes means that we have to cut some unholy ties. Have you ever had unholy ties in your life? You're running with the wrong crowd? Get rid of them. Because that's God's will for your life. Cut the old un, unholy ties. Bad company breeds sin, whereas good company provides accountability and points towards righteousness. It's easy to be good when you're with good people. Have you found that? And it's easier to be bad when you're with bad people. I found that to my shame. In the next stage of Christian growth, our teabag gives up some of his sinful habits. I'll show you how he gets rid of some of his sin. 
with the help of Christ, it's poured out. See, he's only got half the sin he started with. And as as this teabag matures in Christ, he gets rid of more sin. And he becomes more like the Lord Jesus Christ. And he moves on to become, this says, a very mature, Christ-like teabag who should be upright like that. Now, because of the fan, now, there, there, there is another, another finish to this which you old people will appreciate. And don't do this at home, children. Oh, Jim, do it in the shed. I know you have to. When you get like this and you put a lit match to this, this tea bag goes to heaven. I won't do it here before insurance purposes. Because I might have to pay the premium or the excess, something like that. But they are progressive points of change and growth that God wants us to experience. He loves us too much to leave us in sin. No changes happen at the immediate point. You don't have to get better to become a Christian. You can be horrible and come to Christ. But then God will work on that horribleness and try and make you more like Christ. I hope I've given you something to look forward to in being mature in Christ. It's a question of change. Will you let God change you into the purity that he already sees in you? Ephesians 4, 13 to 15 says it best. Until we all attain to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man or woman, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. So we've got... God wants us to measure up to the nature and character of Christ as we mature in our Christian faith. No longer children in Christ, but speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. And other verses you may note on the same theme of maturity and being changed are Colossians 2, 6 and 7, Hebrews 12, 2, Romans 15, 14, 1 Corinthians 14, 20. And I want to finish with a couple of questions and answers. Can you be saved and not tell anyone? Probably not. Probably not. If you read Romans 10, 10, it says, With the heart you believe, but with the mouth you confess and are saved. I think primarily that's speaking of our confession to God. But it carries over into our witnessing as well because you can't be a standalone Christian. People are going to see changes in your life and ask you questions. And Jesus said, if you are ashamed of me, I will be ashamed of you before my Father and the holy angels. That tells me, Romans 10, 10, speaks to us on two levels. We need to confess our faith to Christ, to God in Christ. We need to confess our faith to others in witnessing. Can a saved sinner still sin? The answer is, yes, he can. Unfortunately, carnal Christians 
are really the best at this. And some mature Christians still manage to give in to temptation more often than we would like to admit. Another question, is apostasy possible? Well, if it's in the Bible, of course it's possible. Matthew 24, 13 says, those who endure to the end will be saved. And this is where we come to a, a point of tenses in salvation. If you read your Bible about every reference of salvation, there's a past salvation, a present salvation, and a future salvation. <clears throat> the past one being when you look back at the day of your conversion, that's past salvation. On that day, on the 11th of October 1977, <clears throat> that's my past conversion, past Salvation. That's the day on which I was saved. Bless the Lord, I've grown a bit since then. Present salvation is God helping me overcome temptation today. Presently. Today. This afternoon, someone's probably going to tempt me to do something rotten in traffic. And by God's grace, I'm going to say, that's all right, pal. You just push in there, I'll make room for you. That's Salvation in the present tense. And salvation future is he who endureth to the endeth will be saved. And there are other, other verses that speak to that same variation of the tense in which salvation is used. Is there a difference between backsliding and apostasy? Well, let's hope so. Because in backsliding, a Christian has withdrawn from the practical application of his Christian faith to his life. Whereas apostasy, though possible, is quite rare because it is a total and final rejection of the claims of Christ upon that person's life. Now, we believe while there is life, there is hope. While there is breath, there is hope. That's why we prayed for Jimmy Rayner at nearly 94. So apostasy is quite rare because that person has to make a total and final rejection of the claims of Christ upon their life. That is, having been a Christian. If they just neglect him all their life, sure they're lost, but it's not apostasy, that's just lost. Can bad people find salvation? You know, if you if you you've got a really nasty friend, and he says, "Could God save a nasty person like me?" What would you say? Yes. And here are some verses to tell you. Second Peter three nine, God is not willing that anyone should perish. You hear that? You know, God says. No one can come to me unless I draw him. But then he says in his word, I'm not willing that anyone should perish. Isn't that God drawing everyone to himself? And over in 1 Timothy 2.4, the apostle Paul wrote to Timothy, the young preacher, and said, tell him this, God wants everyone to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. He doesn't leave the bad people out. He wants him actually bad people can be more aware of their need of God and Christ than good people. And so good people are probably your biggest challenge when you're witnessing 
with all these answers. Now, God has challenged me to share my faith more freely as he is so keen to give the gift of faith and eternal life to everyone who will believe and respond to his call. In his word, God calls us to himself, saying, if you will return to me, I will return to you. Malachi says that that's basically the theme of Malachi, but if you read with an understanding of what it says in Malachi, the whole Bible basically says that, where God says, you come back to me and I'll come back to you. You come back to me and I'll give you all the good stuff that uh, maybe you don't even don't need. So I will give you abundantly over and above that which you believe and think. And, you know, I'm worried about Australia. We are going downhill so quick. When I was a young fella, it was a Christian country. When I didn't want to go to Sunday school, it was a Christian country. After I became a Christian myself, we were heading away from it. So maybe I just don't want to run with the crowd. I want to run with God and with the Lord Jesus. But if we bring our people to God, he will invest himself again in this land which we love. Now, when you look across the news on Channel 24, they cover the world. We are in a blessed position in Australia. Everywhere else is pretty much a whole lot worse off. And we're going to be worse off if we don't, as a nation, turn back to Christ. And that's why I think God's putting it on our hearts to prepare to witness for him in our communities, in our workplaces, amongst our pagan families. I've got them. Don't be ashamed of them. Talk to them about Christ. If The question of change is this. Do we want to change our lives for Christ to impact the world for him? As we change, the impact we make increases. Give God your answer to this question of change. Speak to him in your quiet time and in your devotions. And let me pray to conclude. Dear God and Father of mankind, forgive our foolish ways. Help us spread your truth and bring your people to you for faith and new and everlasting life. Give us wisdom to understand the free gift of salvation and the skill to wisely share that understanding with our friends who stand outside your kingdom not knowing what they are denying themselves by neglecting your free offer of salvation in Christ. Bless this congregation today as they go out into the world with a mission for Christ and Christianity. And we pray this in the precious name of our Saviour, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.